All right. Is part two going to be the same thing? I don't know. The fire went out. I'm just going to read it part two. Mammon, the root of all evil, part two. Christianity is not compatible with the pursuit of money. It's easier to fit a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. Or so said some guy named Jesus. Every conversation about money I've ever had with a self-proclaimed Christian has led to me reciting this declaration made by Jesus, to which every Christian to whom I've recited it has replied with immediate passionate, vigorous defense, as reactive as a sneeze. Yeah, but not all rich people go to hell. Jesus is just saying it's difficult, not impossible. The threat of challenging one's belief in money triggers a defense mechanism in people, something deeper than their awareness, something deeper than their religion, something buried deep inside their personal identities. People recognize it as a part of themselves, but it most certainly is not a part of the true self, the inclusive self. It's a leech, an add-on, an unnecessary piece of baggage. It is classic archetypal covetousness. And yes, for all intents and purposes, one might as well call it a demon. If we all stopped believing in money, overnight money would become powerless and valueless. We all know this, and yet we let it completely rule over us. We let it control us. We make sacrifices to it. We let it determine our futures and allow it to manipulate our every desire. We speak of it as a living entity. We elect our leaders into office based on what it is doing. We let it inform our entire ideologies, our entire philosophies of life. It becomes just justification for nearly every human endeavor. We tell ourselves once we finish the thing we're working on, we'll be contented, we'll be satisfied, we'll be fulfilled. But we're addicted to the pursuit of it as much as the thing itself. It takes us on a ride that never ends, always more, more, more and we never have time to stop and contemplate who we really are, what we're really doing. Our entire lives become a procrastination of our enjoyment of life, a procrastination of inclusivity. Once we pay off the car, the house, once we get the next paycheck, the next raise, the next car, the next the prenup, the child support, the divorce settlement, and then finally, I'll find joy once I retire. But there is no payoff at the end of this thing. The procrastination of joy is an entirely unhealthy, exclusive endeavor and the true cause of death. In the end, we've sacrificed our entire lives to mammon. If that's not the definition of a demon, then there's no such thing as demons. Use whatever word one wishes to use for this phenomena. I see no reason not to use the biblical word for it. Its classical definition is as old and as new as time. We all experience this demon, and yet we keep spreading its disease. This idea that there's a right way to serve this demon. What's the right way to serve a demon? 
Stop serving the fucking demon. How could Jesus have made it more obvious than saying, no man can serve two masters? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the demon of money. This couldn't have been said more clearly. This is repeated over and over and over throughout the New Testament. Why are American Christians so hand-in-hand, buddy-buddy with covetousness? How can anyone be this blind to their own ambitions, desires, greed? How can anyone be this blind to the values and virtues of their own religion? Jesus repeatedly refers to mammon as a demon, an enemy of God. There is not a single verse in the New Testament which says, it's okay to be rich as long as you do good things. There isn't a single verse which mentions money in a positive light. In fact, there's way more instances of Jesus telling people to get rid of all of their money. If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast. Hast. All that, basically saying, <laughs> if you want to be perfect, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor. In Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus tells us explicitly not to store up riches for ourselves on earth where it can be so easily destroyed and stolen, but to store up riches in the heart, for your heart will always be where your riches are. There is no verse in the New Testament which says give your church money because the church always does good things with money. In fact, Jesus seemed to predict that virtueless hypocrites would use his words to empower their own covetous, exclusive pursuit of power as they're repeatedly risen up across the world in his name. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. False Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders that would deceive even the elect. Jesus, the rebel. This is my favorite part of the New Testament. These verses in Mark's Gospel, nearly verbatim in Matthew, show the rebellious spirit of Christ, the rule breaker, the idealist, the brave renegade who fought the corrupt powers that be and the conviction of one man's all-inclusive spirit versus the world's largest superpower. And this is when the priests decided they had to kill Jesus not because he was godly, not because he was magical, and not because he called himself son of God, but because Jesus was screwing with their business. Jesus was rendering them powerless and calling out their corrupt endeavor, their pursuit of money, as blasphemous. And by evening, Jesus had to leave the city because he had made such a spectacle, screaming, blasphemy, flipping tables, astonishing the crowd who'd gathered, there were now people, priests and scribes, plotting to kill him. All right, here's the quote. This is the King James Version. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that 
any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it, and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when evening was come, he went out of the city. That's Mark 11. We all know how the story ends, but this is the beginning of the end. Mark 11 is the real reason Jesus was put to death in the most horrific way, because Jesus took a public stand against the ruler of a corrupt society, Mammon. Mammon loves his allies. He's such a big part of the American ideal that we actually refer to him as the American dream. He's the promise that if we work hard, regardless of what the work entails, we will be rewarded. Work will set you free. That's a Nazi joke. I guess it's not really a joke, is it? For decades, half the country continues passing the same 2% of the country's wealth back and forth, while the exponential gains market trickles up to the very tip-top of a percentile of a percentile of a percentile we call this the American dream. For many Americans, the worst possible thing that they could imagine happening to themselves is to lose their jobs. During the COVID plague, a vast majority of the world stopped working. And what happened? Wildlife roamed freely. Air quality significantly improved. The world kept going. Vast majority of the world's economy is nothing. Vast majority of the world's economy is completely unnecessary. It's work for the sake of work and things for the sake of things. Half of all of it goes toward defense spending against our ideological enemies. At the root of all humanity's problems, the root of all that we perceive to be evil, lurking deep within the identities to which we become so attached, that is where you'll find him, the real enemy, Mammon. Today's, today's program is sponsored by no one. Nobody pays me. Thank you.